puede ser. Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Daniel Johnston. We began the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show with Michel Pilargo's early teenage combo Les Chancellors with their song Generation Aujourd'hui and today Aujourd'hui on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show as I mentioned Daniel Johnson and to prepare you for Daniel Johnston we have a whole bunch of Beatle inspired records because Daniel Johnson loves the Beatles not the actual Beatles but a whole bunch of Beatle inspired records and also some recordings from Beatles press conferences as well one of them that actually involves Long John Tanner, who up until a couple weeks ago did a show on CITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We have a clip 
clip of Long John Tanner asking the Beatles a question in Seattle in 1966. Yes, all that to look forward to on an Ardwarta Human Serviette radio show's tribute to Daniel Johnson, or preparation for an interview with Daniel Johnson. So right now, here are a whole bunch of records, not by the Beatles, but by Beatles rip-off bands. What they were made, from what I can surmise, is... Kids in the 1960s were looking for more Beatles records. They couldn't always get the Beatles records because they were sold out. So record companies would create bands to make Beatles sound-alike records. And the Beatles sound-alike records looked like the Beatles on the covers because they would say stuff like Beats from the Mersey Sound. And they would cover Beatles songs. And there weren't actual pictures of the Beatles on these records, disguised in wigs and stuff. So the kid might have thought, hey, that is the Beatles. Daniel Johnston loves these types of records, so I thought it would play a whole bunch in a row of I Want to Hold Your Hand. And the first one here is by the Merseyside Sound. Beats by the Merseyside Sound, the new beat from Britain. I Want to Hold Your Hand.
and you're still listening to CITR Radio, hopefully, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there the Liverpools with I Want to Hold Your Hand. And before that, the Bugs with I Want to Hold Your Hand. And before that, the Mersey Beats with I want to hold your hand. And before that, the Mersey side sound with I want to hold your hand. I'm no expert on Beatle records at all, although I have a few Beatle ripoff records. And those were the records I have. That was pretty much my entire collection. There are entire CDs dedicated to Beatle ripoffs. But I thought that these were interesting because they were all done by bands, particularly that modeled themselves after the Beatles, i.e. pretended to be the Beatles, at least to the suspecting teenager the teenager thought this was the beatles it wasn't like a band covering it they actually thought this was the beatles coming up on an ardwar to human serviette radio show an interview with beetle fan daniel johnston right now here is a record called the worst record in the world by althea and the memories done by Kim Fowley. He had some involvement in this record. You might hear him on air. You might hear him singing. It was called Althea and the Memories. The worst record in the world is the title of this particular track we're going to play now. And Kim Fowley had some involvement with Daniel Johnson, which you'll learn about a bit later. After that, I'm going to play a track by Daniel Johnson called Fish. And then after that, a song by Daniel Johnson as interpreted by Cub from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada called Tell Me Now. And then an interview with Daniel Johnson today on the Nardwar de Human Serviette radio show. Here's Kim Fowley's Althea and the Memories, the worst record in the world. Ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls, the worst record ever made. How about Sleeping Beauty and Ray Charles? How about James Brown and Little Red Riding Hood? How about a Jupiter Bulldog? How about the Dragon Lady? Hey, surfers, are you listening to me? I want to hear a surfer. That's the surfer guitar you're listening to. You think there's ever been a dance called the wheelchair? Do it sitting down. how desperate you are to be listening to all this. But nitty gritty. I wonder if they'll still be doing this when they're 74 years old. You may hear the Beach Boys or Roy Orbison or the Crystal. I am you. How about the Snowman or Dan and Jean? Oh, Russ Colombo. How about World War III on television? Hey, TV. Are you trying to play that guitar? Are you? 
record like this, you gotta be real original and funny. And at this point, it's real sickening and horrible. That sickening is the music we're listening to. Are we gonna stop rock and roll? Are we gonna stop rhythm and blues? Are we gonna stop surfing? Hey. Are we gonna stop this record? I'm gonna stop this record right now. Hey, 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 no, no, stop, stop everything. The public has heard enough. I know you gotta go, but I'll come out. Hey, but what about the real? What about Boston, Beethoven, and George Washington, Benjamin Franklin? Hey, stop, 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 stop. Yeah, it was the worst record in the world after all.
You are Daniel? Yeah, I've heard that. That must be me. Daniel Johnson. That's right. Welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Daniel Johnson. Good. Thank you very much. I have a gift for you right off the bat from the Vancouver band Cub. Here it is, their 7-inch Betty Cola. Oh, that looks good. That looks pretty good. With cover art by Dan DiCarlo. Oh, no kidding. That is cool. He's great. I love those. I buy Archie Comics a lot. Those girls look so foxy. I always buy them. And you know what's really... And you know what's really amazing about it? They actually cover, and I got another gift for you. This is on their CD. They cover Tell Me Now. All right. By Daniel Johnson. That's that. This is great. And they're from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. What do you think about that? Getting Dan DiCarlo. Yeah, yeah, he's cool. I mean, those girls look like real foxes and babes on that. Archie's uh, comics. And they have some great lyrics. Draw girls. So. They have some great lyrics too, Daniel. One of them is, Satan sucks, but you're the best. Oh my. I That's their lyrics. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, hmm. That's a Vancouver, BC, Canada lyric. Yeah, okay. And here we are in Vancouver, home of Boris Karloff. Hmm? No, he grew I, up here. I think I met him one night. We were at a pizza shop, and, and I left a slice, and he was looking at the slice on the uh, table, and I said, are you Boris Karloff? But it couldn't have been. You know, he's been dead for so long, I guess, but it seemed like it was really him. It was weird. He did work in Vancouver at the Pacific National Exhibition. As well as happened. Uh, I was doing a show the other night, and Elvis Costello came out and sang a song with us. No way! It really happened. It was great. I was actually emailing his manager and telling him to do that. <clears throat> That's great. Well, thank you. When did that happen? How many nights ago? Uh, two or three nights ago. Oh, that's incredible. 
We'll have to get the footage and cut to that then. That would be cool. We, we were eating, we were traveling and everything, and there was this, this guy always sitting at the restaurant, you know. And about the third day, I took a look at him. I said, hey, that's Elvis Costello. I didn't realize. You know? You've said that Elvis Costello has been in your band, haven't you, a few times. You've joked about that. Oh, I don't remember that. You know, I don't remember that. But, but back to Boris Karloff. He worked at the Pacific National Exhibition, and I have another gift for you. And check this out. This is the Beatles playing in Vancouver. That is so cool. Thanks so much. That's on my wall. Playing where? At Empire Stadium in Vancouver. Oh, that is so cool. So Boris Karloff worked at the PE. Brothers, Jackie, uh, <laughs> Okay. Now, it doesn't stop there, Daniel Johnson. I have another gift for you, another PE Vancouver gift. Okay. Check this out. We have here a record of Beatles interviews. Are you at the Beatles interview? I sure am. I collect Beatles all that. Beatles interviews. Watch out today. Check this out, Daniel Johnson. It is Beatles interviews in Seattle and Vancouver. Seattle and Vancouver specific Beatles interview. Uh, that's some local content. Yeah. I guess that's what I was wondering about. I was looking at the devil and Daniel Johnson, and I saw this record on your Christmas tree, Ed Rudy. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can tell the people about hanging Ed Rudy on your Christmas tree. This is like a spoken word record, the spoken word Beatles thing. Freaky Christmas that, that year, so... That's cool. Can I have this too? Uh, that maybe isn't quite for you. In there. Some of the interviews are actually on the CD. That'll be cool. You can actually That's check cool. out. And that's what I want to ask you about. What do you think, Daniel Johnson, about records like this? Oh, it's not the Beatles, is it? I, I understand that, but it's collectible. I have some, a lot of Beatles sound like records and I collect them. That's the Liverpool. So, so have you been fooled ever thinking it is the Beatles? Well, uh, not really. But they, I, like, like they have just a little bit more hair when the Beatles. It was funny because you know it's it like they get a bunch of session men in for you know Beatlemania or they call it something. That's cool. And what's interesting is you on your new LP have a real connection to the Beatles, don't you, Jason Faulkner? Because he worked with Paul McCartney. Oh, that is unreal. He he had uh, uh, recorded recently with Paul McCartney or something. When he went in the studio, I laid down a lot of basic tracks, and he has a real Beatle feel to the music. So it's going to be he worked with Paul. He worked with Paul McCartney. Is there any chance he could have got Paul McCartney to work on your album, Daniel Johnson? He would have told me if that happens, but I'm honestly missing by a few days. But did you once leave a whole bunch of tapes for Yoko Ono? Yeah, I went to Yoko's house and. No reply. So <laughs> you left some tapes? Sure, I did. Yeah, shirts and stuff. Now, this Guitar Hero thing that's happening, Kurt Cobain wearing a Daniel Johnson shirt in Guitar Hero. What do you think about that? Do you get any cyber royalties for that? Well, you know, about, about that title, Daniel and the Devil. You know, what is the Devil and Daniel? Man, that's hardcore. That'll, that's, that's got me tattooed for the rest of my life. It couldn't be worse, you know? How about the Guitar Hero video game? You know, the Guitar Hero video game has... They're starting a video game with the uh, characters that I draw and stuff. Well, the Guitar Hero one has Kurt wearing your t-shirt, and Kurt in that video game sings some Bon Jovi. Oh, cool. Kurt, uh, Star Trek sings Bon Jovi? Yes, some Bon Jovi on the Guitar Hero. That sounds great. And if you just step up here for a second, Daniel. Yeah. All right. You see down there, actually. I'm looking for some monster magazines. So go ahead. I'll still interview you. I'm just looking for, uh, see if you have any monster magazines. I guess they don't. 
Okay, well, thanks a lot for interviewing me. And well, uh, I've got a couple more questions, and actually we have something to be able to help you out. We have Cliff over here. Cliff is your number one fan in Vancouver. Come over here, Cliff, right? Hey, Daniel. And he wondered if you could trade some comics for some gig tickets tonight. We got a okay. Action Comics, number 269. Identity has been betrayed by Black Magic. Poor Superman, that's yeah, for you. Very good. Complete run of Black Goliath, issues uh, one through two. That is great. The party's over punks. There's a new yeah. superhero in town. Yeah. For you. Not quite a monster magazine, but a monster comic. That's, that's a great cover. Who, who did that cover? I'm not sure. Bert Spuckler. These are all gifts from Cliff. <laughs> right. For gig tickets. There's some Jack Kirby inside this monster comic, Monsters on the Prowl. Cool. That, that is cool. cool. And for you? So I really appreciate that. Sort of well, how many tickets do you want? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> how many tickets do you need? Uh, four, but... Uh, <laughs> well, tell my brother there. Tell my brother, and he'll write your name down and, and let you in at the door. Oh, amazing. Much. And the House of Secrets, uh, sort right. of a horror. Ice Cream Cone Gone Bad. And the, and the final one, Archie in Vancouver yeah, at Expo 86. Yeah, there they are. The Archie's playing in Vancouver on stage. Oh, hey. We'll have to book more Canadian concerts. <laughs> Shouldn't we be singing in French? All done by Dan DiCarlo. Hey, do you speak more English now instead of French here? Or? It's 50-50. Yeah. And one last one, Cliff, you have. A special one. Check this out, Daniel. Oh, that is nice. Veronica in Canada. Oh, city hopping. Toronto, Vancouver, Halifax, Quebec City on tour like you. No, Cliff is giving this to you and a whole bunch of other comics as well. And I want to ask you, Cliff, you love smelling comics, don't you? I like the smell of comics, yeah. You like the smell of comics, Daniel? You no, know, when I'm looking at comic books and like I look at some old comic books, like the glue that they used or something, I smell it too. I'm thinking, and it takes me back over the years when I was a kid and I bought the same comics. And I say, well, this is like, it's still got the feeling of that era. We still have some more comics for tickets, don't we? A whole bunch more, don't you, Cliff? All this. We'll give it to you. Well, I, let, me, let me see here for a minute. These are all gifts for you, Daniel Johnson, from Cliff in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Okay. All right. Now, you also love tapes, don't you, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. I get, uh, I get a lot of demo tapes people send me. It's pretty funny. I'll, I'll put them on a lot and just listen to them while I'm eating or something. What's the best brand of tape? Because I noticed in your movie there were tons and tons of different brands. What's the best brand? Tron was really the best one. Yip uh, Jump Music was recorded on Centrum. Because it was Avanti 2? There was Avanti, there was Sertron, Astrosonic? Right, yeah, but Chrome is one of the uh, most dangerous uh, tapes to use. You could die on it. Have you had some experiences with that? No, but I, I heard um, Leonard Skinner and Leonard, Paul McCartney and Leonard Skinner, Skinner was having some trouble when I heard it because it making noise and, you know, and it seems to make scratches on it too or easy. Daniel, do you have any tips if somebody wants to tape somebody secretly? You did a lot of secret taping, didn't you? What are some tips for that? Well, I, I used to be like a um, multimedia artist is what I call myself. You know, I'd take a tape recorder around and record all my friends and, you know, some of that ended up on Songs of Pain. What about for taping somebody? Where do you hide the tape deck? Like, what were you using? Carried around. I didn't have a, you know, just a regular, I'd just be carrying everything. You know, they, they got, everybody got used to it, so, you know. <laughs> Daniel, you also worked at Astro World. That's right. That place looked incredible, but now it's gone? Of no return. I don't know why they closed down. It was a big, really cool place, you know. Alpine Slate, it was like the Alpine Slate? Mm-hmm. And now it had like an echo chamber in it, it got really cold? What was Astro World like? Like, you saw a flock of seagulls there? You saw some flock of seagulls. I played football with them before the show. Even you played football with flock of seagulls. What an image that is! Yeah. <laughs> Were they any good? 
Oh, they were great. They had that, and I ran, I ran so far away. Now, from football with Flock of Seagulls to working in an oil refinery with a girl. What was that like, working at the oil refinery with a girl? Well, there were girls at the oil refinery, so I made it kind of fun through the day to joke around and stuff. But like the other day when I tried, when, you know, you can't arrest girls too much. Like, I, I've been gotten in trouble a few times with the stewardesses and, uh, you know. So I don't. I, I leave the girls alone. I don't bother them as much. And I used to just you know have them fun, have fun with the stewardess. You know, can you get me another drink? I have no you know, something like that. Daniel Johnson, your artwork is it still in your high school? Is it on the walls of your high school still? Oh, I don't know about that, but I'm in the yearbook and stuff. And I painted a bear. It took me all year to. They wanted me to paint this bear. Bear. From our symbol was a bear, you know, and uh, I painted. It took me like all year, and I just didn't go to classes and everything. And next year they painted over it. <laughs> so maybe if they go under the paint, they'll be able to find it. Right, right. What was the first punk band that you saw, Daniel Johnson? Well, I saw the Clash. I saw Elvis Costello in the day. You know, some good shows there in Pittsburgh. Now, I was wondering, Daniel Johnson, what role did this gentleman have here in your life? Here we have Mr. Kim Fowley. All right. This is cool. I, I never, uh, he wanted to do a record with me, you know, and I told him, sorry, I said, uh, yeah, you know, and so he wanted to see what I sound like in the studio, that I could do some studio recording. <clears throat> And when I did, I thought to myself, I'd say, hey, I'll go ahead and record an album. So it was a continued story was the album. But I never really met him. But he had a letter for me about, I'd like to work with him someday. You know, very famous Joan Jett and Cherry Bomb, song like that. All right. Also, I was wondering, Daniel Johnson, you have a song about record recording on your new LP, don't you? About records, record stores. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. What's that song about? Well, it's about uh, fake music. <laughs> For music, Daniel Johnson, on eBay recently, there was a test pressing, a Daniel Johnson Jad Fair test pressing for $5,000. Oh, man, that is unreal. Do you have any of those you could put on eBay? I really enjoyed that first album me and him did. We, uh, we do plan to get together again sometime. Daniel Johnson, you were on MTV, Cutting Edge. One person that doesn't get a lot of credit was the host of the show. What can you tell the people about Peter Zaremba from the Flesh Tones? He was the host. Do you remember him? That's right. Yeah, he was so cool. He, the flesh, I love the Flesh Tones. He got me on the show. I just showed up. They were having a lunch, you know, and we were all eating tacos, and I was, like, talking to him and holding up my tape to the camera and everything. Smooth sailing. I was famous. MTV. Because people talk about MTV, but the Flesh Tones. At the time. But it goes back to the Flesh Tones. Peter Zaremba. Yeah, I, I really like the music. I've heard them before, a, a bit of them. Do I get to have this? Probably not. Yes, that's for you. Thanks. I appreciate it. That'd be great. Daniel Johnson, at one time, did you almost have Lou Reed on one of your records? Well, that's another one. Just uh, almost a brush with greatness. He was there a couple days in between I was recording, so you know, I missed him. But Mojo, Mo Tucker was there, and we wrote a song for him. Me and Jad wrote a song for him. But you almost had Mo Tucker and Lou Reed on a Daniel Johnson record. It would have been cool. But you did have Willie Nelson's sister on one of your records. Yeah, that's true. Willie Nelson's sister. It's true. It's true. Hey, do you have some more comics for me? Uh, yeah. That's the last bit of comics for more free tickets for the gig tonight. All right. How, how many? How many? Are, are you want to go tonight? Sure. 
Okay, so how about I'll give you 10? Credit for 10. That's very generous of you, Daniel Johnson. What do we have here? We have a whole bunch of Jimmy Olsen, Cub Reporter, of course, for the Cub Musician, Daniel Johnson. This is cool. The special gamma weapon, Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen, wrestling Viking. All right. Batman versus a skeleton. Yeah, that's great. Superman with no face, Batman with no face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you have any of these at all? All right. Huh? Do you have any of these? No, I don't. These are, this is These are just the kind of comments I collect. Thank you very much, yeah, sir. No problem. Do no uh, you want more than ten? No, that's good. That's good. Uh, that's sure, amazing. I uh, sure thank you very much. And also, we have a gentleman here with you, Brett. Could we yeah. bring over Brett for a moment to do a song for us? You said you could do a song for us. Yeah, we can. I wanted you to do the song "Tell Me Now," but you haven't been doing that recently, have you? Uh, that would be in honor of the band Cub. Tell me now, <laughs> I don't. I don't really remember it. This, oh, and welcome back, Carter. All right. <laughs> the Bible says never turn down a precious gift. So thanks. Daniel, here we are with Brett. Hi, Brett. Hi, Daniel. <laughs> and you got a tune for us. You sure do. This is an old song from Songs of Pain era. That's why you're not here with me today And the librarian said You can't buy no respect I said, hey lady, what can you expect When I'm lying on the floor Well, you're a lovely lady But you don't want to be No girl of mine well, the only thing you ever done for me was help me waste my time. And I saw you at the funeral. You were standing there like a temple. I said, hi, how are you? Hello. And I pulled up a casket and called in. Yes, I did. Climbed up a mountain. Around some kind of circus with all them clowns. I said, Hey, wait a minute, can't we slow down a bit? And I almost got hit by a truck. Well, it just goes to show you that we're all on our own. Scrounging for our own share of good luck. Stab your brother in the back and pick up your paycheck. did work anyhow I'm looking for a nice girl and I don't want no cow I'm heading out west gonna find me the best well I played the game but I failed the test 
If I can't be a lover, then I'll be a pest. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you very much. Daniel Johnson. Live at the comic shop. How about it? How about it? Live at the comic shop in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You know it. With yeah. bread as well. Yeah. Thank you very much for having us. A friend from uh, college. We went to college together. Well, anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Daniel Johnson? Hmm. I don't know. Anything to add to the people? Uh, they used to say power to the people, right? I don't know. Right on. Yeah. Right. Power. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Daniel and Brett. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Yeah, uh, Catman do. Almost do do the loot do. Ah, uh, do do. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, I I really did pretty well with all this loot. Okay. Trapped in boredom I touch the shore How can I get there To go away Just to be nowhere Last night I dreamed I died in my sleep Only to awake Laying in a coffin You were my all A poster at the mall I couldn't call you anymore The show must go on The end is never really over May the force be with you Don't you ever surrender Love won't let you down Long as it's around Trophy for a touchdown Always remember the good times You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And that there just was Daniel Johnson. Freedom from the upcoming CD is and always was on Eternal Yip-Eye Music. And before that, an interview with Daniel Johnston. In the interview, we mentioned the flesh tones, Peter Zaremba. So here... Coming up are the Flesh Tones doing American Beat 84, which also appeared in the Bachelor Party movie featuring Tom Hanks. And right after that, Beatle Talk, the way they were in 1964 and 66, narrated by Red Robinson. And we're going to play Side 2 
of a Beatles press conference from 1966 containing a question from Long John Tanner, who sadly just stopped doing his show on CITR a couple weeks ago. This is dedicated to you, Long John Tanner, after 50 years in radio. All live here on the Nardwar de Human Serviette Radio Show. Tell you, that's a secret. We don't know people, though, do we? You are confirming the report? 
No, I'm not really. It was just a joke. It's who started this? Anyone know? Does anyone know? I just got in today and found out I was getting married tonight. And no, she is not coming in tonight, as far as I know. And if she does, we are going out tonight anyway, so we miss her. <laughs> I'd like to address this to any of the Beatles. Uh, do you believe that you represent a different type of morality or a new type of morality than, say, a group like the Rolling Stones or the protest group? Are they a protest group? Since when? No, uh, or the protest group. Or a protest group. Ah. No, we don't, we, you know, we don't represent anything like that. It's the circle no. that do that. Head of protest. Turn down day, I mean, you've heard that one, haven't you? I'd like to ask John Lennon a question, and I hope I get a chance to ask him a second one. Uh, this is sort of double-barreled. I'd like to know your motivation in this. Uh, money, I'd like to think it's enjoyment, and I'd like to think you're having as much fun as you seem to be when you're doing it. Oh, when I look as though I'm having fun, I am. What? You know, when I'm not, I'm not, usually. So Do I get another chance? One more chance? I had this little prediction that in 25 years you're going to be a great writer. I'd like to talk to you about it sometime. Well, I mean, when I'm 25 years, then. I'll make a date. Okay. See you, Penny Man. We'd like to address this question to anybody in the group. Uh, what about the next movie? There are a lot of stories. Nothing's confirmed. Has there been anything decided? Nothing. Mm. Somebody gave us a good idea, so we told him to go and write it into a script. So we won't really be able to tell if we're going to make the film until we've read the script. And as he hasn't finished the script, we haven't read the script, so we won't know yet until about Christmas, maybe. But if it is a good one and we like it, it'll probably start around about January or February or March or December. I've got three questions, if I can. Uh, for one, do you think that your music, the audience that your music attracts, has changed from, say, the 13 and 14-year-old group to more of the college age? And uh, if so, do you like it better that way? Uh, I, th I think it's probably got a bit older. I don't know how old. And it's nice. Did you intend it that way? No. Well, we don't intend anything, you know. It all has the trouble. <laughs> and also, Paul, since your rumors were... Um, we're denied. Since you denied them, what are you doing after the show? <laughs> I don't know. Marrying you, probably. How is the uh, how is the attendance on this tour compared to past American tours? It's been apparently been more, more people on the at the shows than there were last. Do you think that the so-called adverse publicity hurt or helped in, in this? We've no idea. You know, we haven't been able to tell really because we, you know, the press keeps saying, "I see it's hurt you." And our managers keep saying it, it hasn't. So, you know, who do we believe? John and Paul, I'd like to know if all the songs that are said to be written by Lennon and McCartney are all writ always written by both of you, or do you ever do one all by yourself? No, no we, we do them separately and together. Uh, your music used to be mostly composed of guitar back backgrounds, and recently uh, you've come around to strings and harpsichords and a lot of weird things like that. Is there any purpose in this evolution? You know, just to use something else besides guitars. And because those things aren't necessary, it's not necessarily sort of coming round to them, you know, like sort of giving in to them. It's finding them again. As program director of radio station Fund in Vancouver, I had assigned one of my DJs to cover this 1966 press conference in Seattle. I selected a giant of a man called John Tanner, who stood six foot and then some in his stocking feet. Now, during those sea fun days, we referred to him on the air as Jolly John. 
For this particular press conference, he dressed his tall frame in a jolly green giant costume, complete with Robin Hood booties. Imagine, if you will, the Beatles' reaction to this strange, looming figure. I don't know if there's a jolly green giant in England, uh, fellas, but uh, I come with good wishes from Vancouver in Canada. You played there uh, a short while ago, and we were wondering whether all the fans here had a number of questions for me to ask you. One, are you coming back to Vancouver? Maybe. Brian decides where we go, you know, so maybe. All the uh, people in Vancouver wanted to wish John a uh, happy fourth anniversary a few days ago, John. Well, you thank him, Jolly Green John. <laughs> and uh, a question, George, where do you get your sitars? A friend of mine plays guitar, he wants to play a sitar as well. well where as do people. I get them, or where do, where do you get them? generally get them? Where can people generally get a sitar? India. In India. I hear that you're the world's greatest sitar player. Uh, 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 one word for Ringo. Ringo, uh, I like to wish people happy birthdays. My birthday and uh, your fan club president in Vancouver is uh, on August the 4th, which is Maureen's birthday. We just, you know, like to tell her that we have a big cake for Maureen. And, of course, the Queen Mother's birthday is on that day also. Yeah. Thank you. Paul, before you said that you have, there are some songs you have to write, could you explain what you mean by have to write? Uh, uh, mm. No, I just said, see, I just said that in passing. I just meant that uh, there was an LP due. And when an LP is due, we write songs, you know. We do it like that more than write all the time. We don't write all the time, we write more to order. You know, if we've got 14 tracks to fill, and we've got 14 songs to write, that's what I meant. Seattle, Washington, 1966. That night, the Beatles went out to the acclaim of 15,000 frantic fans. These were really the innocent years for the Beatles. They were just about to leap into a new phase of their careers. The late 60s were years of revolution and turmoil. And the Beatles certainly were in the vanguard of the new wave. Some would say that the new dimensions they added to popular music were their most important contributions to musical history. But upon listening to those earlier years, the fun and the energy, those are moments that will be remembered with fondness for the generation that lived through those times. On this album, we've tried to present the best of the Beatles, their quick and witty repartee. The story of the Beatles is best told by displaying them in action. The Marx Brothers were unique, and so were the Beatles. This is John Lennon saying this is the top complete behind-the-scenes coverage of the Beatles in America by the fifth Beatle, Ed Rudy. This is one of the original four Beatles, John Lennon, saying thank you for the wonderful reception we've received in the United States and stay tuned for Ed Rudy's reports and as we tour the States. Okay, Ed. This is the audio story of the Beatles in America, a radio news documentary produced through the facilities of Radio Pulse Beat News. Here is the sound and substance of the world's hottest entertainment group. This is Ed Rudy reporting for Radio Pulse Beat News with the Beatles' American Tour. 
This is George Harrison of the Beatles saying, stay tuned for Ed Rudy's exclusive coverage of our American tour. Paul McCartney of the Beatles saying stay tuned for Ed Rudy's exclusive coverage of our American tour. There were thousands of fans on hand as the Beatles arrived at Kennedy International Airport in New York. We asked some of them why they were there. How old are you? I am 18 and a half. And where do you go to school? I go to City College <laughs> and I want to welcome the Beatles to New York on behalf of City College and Tau Epsilon Phi. How old are you? 19. What are you thinking of the Beatles? They are great. Amazing. Fantastic. What makes them great? Oh, they are, they are tremendous. Their music. How old are you? I'm 16. Why are you here? Because uh, everybody else is here. I don't know. It's Did you cut school and come down here? No, we have half day. You have a half day off? Yeah. You cut I cut school. What are you thinking of the Beatles? I think they're great. Really what are you thinking of? I think they're fabulous. We're from Arkansas. You're Mark and the Beatles. You came up from Arkansas. Oh, that's right. Last Tuesday morning, sir. How old are you? 18 years old. What, are, are you from school in Arkansas? Yeah, University of Arkansas, Fayetteville. And you came up here just for the Beatles? Yes, sir, that's right. We come from Clifton. What Texas. do you think of the Beatles? Oh, they're okay. More than, I want to come see excitement more than anything else. Okay. How old are you? How old are you? 16. Where are you from? Elma. Elma, Long Island. We love the Beatles. We love Hobart. We've been here for two hours. The Beatles' first American news conference was a complete success, and they parried every verbal thrust of the American newsmen. One of the first questions that we asked them was, are you embarrassed by the Beatlemania, the near lunacy that you create? And they answered. No, it's great. We like lunatics. Yeah. It's healthy. We then relayed a request from a young gal reporter in the room who wanted to hear them sing a song. In unison, they replied. No. <laughs> Sorry. Next question. No, we need money first. <laughs> How much money do you expect to take out of this country? Uh, about half a crown, two dollars. Depends on the tax. We then told the Beatles that it had been alleged that they were nothing but four Elvis Presleys, and they replied. He must be blind. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Their long mop tops inspired us to ask if they ever got haircuts. No, no, no. I had one yesterday. <laughs> and that's no lie. That's the truth. Honest, that's it. You know, I think he missed. No. No, he didn't. No. You should have seen him the day before. Okay, he's one here. We got a rather surprising reply when we asked the Beatles how they accounted for their phenomenal success. If we knew, we'd form another group and be managers. <laughs> <laughs> the next question was, why do you sing like Americans and speak like Englishmen? That is English, uh, actually. It's not English, it's Liverpudlian, you see. Well, the, yeah. Liverpool, the Liverpool accent, so the way you say some of the words, you know, you say grass instead of grass. Grass? Well, that sounds a bit American. Right, so there you go. Was... Liverpool's the name. Anyway, it sells better. It's the capital island. We then asked the Liverpudlian lads if they had heard of the Stamp Out the Beatle campaign being organized by a group of Detroit students and exactly what they intended to do about it. 
First of all, we're bringing out the Stamp Out Detroit campaign. <laughs> Seriously, what do you intend to do about this Stamp Out the Beatle campaign? What about it? How big are they? Well, it's... <laughs> but we're on your side. What do you think of Beethoven? Great. Especially his poems. <laughs> I keep tracking that guy every day. Before we packed up our microphones at the airport, we asked the lyrical Liverpudlian lads exactly when they felt they were going to retire. Next week. Oh, no. No, we're probably no. not. We're going to keep going as long as we can. When we get fed up with it, you know, we're still enjoying it now. Any minute now. So much money. No. No, as long as we enjoy it, we'll do it. Because we enjoyed it before we made any money. From the airport, they went to the Hotel Plaza in New York City. Outside of the hotel, we spoke to some of the many, many teenagers who were there assembled. <laughs> <laughs> there are a bunch of teenagers here in front of the Hotel Plaza, right across the street where the police have chased them, and it's raining now. Why, why are you out here at this time? They're upstairs, right over there. Look, there he is at the window. Look, there he is at the window. I don't Who, who's at the window? I think it's Ringo. Gringo, I saw Because he's short. There he is. Look at him. I swear. There he is. Right? Hey, and you're standing here in the rain, just take oh, a look at that. I don't care about the Beatles. Beatle. It's now a blizzard. I don't care. Well, what, what makes the uh, Beatles so great? Why are you standing here? I like the way they sing. You like the way they sing? How about their haircuts? Uh, I think they're real great, you know? They're, 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 they're great. The hair's what makes them. It distinguishes them from all others. <laughs> <laughs> One of the prime reasons the Beatles came to America was to appear on The Ed Sullivan Show. And that, again, was a complete victory. The show received its highest ratings ever. While in New York, they managed to dine at the Posh 21 Club, go twisting at the Peppermint Lounge, and tour Greenwich Village and rented Hertz limousines. They also enjoyed the attention of the bunnies at the Playboy Club. During a break in the schedule, Radio Pulse Beat News microphones were on hand as we spoke with Beatle Road Manager Malcolm Evans. Have you been down to the Peppermint Lounge yet? I haven't been down, or the boys have been. Yeah, I know, I know that they were there, and I know that they met a couple of young ladies there, one of the fellows was telling me. Uh, they haven't had, actually had any uh, chance to develop any real friendships uh, with gals since they've been in New York, or since they've been in America, really, have they? Oh, no. Life's been a bit too hectic since they've been here with press conferences, photograph sessions, you know, and we're not rehearsing for shows and traveling, you know. We don't get much time for a month. The Washington, D.C. Coliseum booked the Beatles for a one-night stand in the indoor stadium. They went down by train, and reaction at Union Station was so Audio transmission equipment was smashed as we made the following narration. We're going to a Union Station now with the Beatle Party. There are thousands, literally thousands and thousands of teenagers, and they're mobbing the whole party. The police are being perhaps a little unnecessarily rough, not with the teenagers, but with the members of the official Beatle Party, including Washington and New York Press. We're walking under a sign saying, Welcome Beatles to Washington. Must be about five feet high and 20 feet across. 
It was at this point that our broadcast lines broke. In any case, it was a sellout performance at the Washington Coliseum long before the actual performance. 9,000 Beatlemania-afflicted fans screamed and stamped so loud and for so long that the din was indescribable. We asked Beatle John Lennon about his reaction to their enthusiasm. Try and play it What normally happens is that when sort of the girls are screaming, you know, people notice it more. I think, you know, that it's a different kind of audience reaction to the one you normally get. So everybody sort of points this out more. But it, it definitely helps to, to swing a show along if the audience is going like, like it was last night. We enjoy it, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's the, it's the young people's way of showing their appreciation. We love it. Ringo Starr told us of their plans for next year. We go to Australia and we go to Israel and um, South Africa next year and we also have a holiday. In fact, this was a holiday until we got booked for America. After the concert in Washington, there was a reception for the Beatles at the British Embassy in the capital. It was a costume ball, and the Major General attached to the Embassy staff actually donned a Beatle wig and mask to everyone's amusement. Embassy press attaché Frank Mitchell was quizzed by Radio Pulse Beat News correspondent Bill Healy on the Beatle reception at the staid British Embassy. I think they're, uh, I, I think they're, they're fine. I, I think they're a riot. <laughs> I know that they've given me more work to do than I've had at any time since the Queen of England was here seven years ago. Mr. Mitchell, I know you're a diplomat. Can I throw you sort of a diplomatic curve? What means? One wit said that the Beatles were the British payment for the Skyboat. You think there's any validity in that? No, I wouldn't say they're the British payment for the Skyboat. No. No, let, me, let us say they're the British payment for all that spam you sent us during the war. <laughs> At the British Embassy party in Washington, we asked Ringo if he considered himself the sex symbol of the Beatles. Ringo, you've been called the sex symbol of the Beatles. Why? Joking. I, I've never heard in my life. You're lying. No, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> do, do you consider yourself a sex symbol in no. any... No, not at all. You, you can see me. You know I'm no sex symbol. Can you see my face? <laughs> At the British Embassy, along with reporter Bill Healy, we asked Ringo Starr if he anticipated the fantastic reception he had received in America. We never expected anything like this, you know. How do you compare this to, to your European receptions? Um, it's pretty similar to England. It was different in France because the 78% of the boys were boys, you know, of the audience. Hello, Robbie! Uh, why were 78% of the audience boys? Because only 24% were girls, 22%. <laughs> is this your pen? 22%. One for next little puddle, is Thank you. Ringo, do you like all this attention? Um, John, it doesn't right. I like it when I'm on stage. <laughs> the Beatles returned to New York for their doubleheader concert at world-famed Carnegie Hall. It was a huge success, with thousands being turned away. You can judge the success from this crowd reaction after the show. They're really alive. They, they put on a great, they really worked very hard, and they put on a really spectacular show. We were all jumping around and carrying on. They're great, they really are. They're really great. What makes them great? 
the talent. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a gimmick. That's what did it, I think. They've got a gimmick? What, what do they do that's different from other performers? They don't take themselves seriously. They have fun. They make more money. they got a lot of presence on the stage. They really act as though they belong there and know what they're doing. They're not too impressed with themselves. No, they aren't. They, take, they don't take themselves seriously, and they're so casual. They're really casual about the whole thing. Hello, this is Malcolm Evans, road manager of the Beatles, saying stay tuned to that Rudy's complete coverage of the Beatles. The Beatles flew to Miami Beach for their only other American commitment, another Ed Sullivan show emanating from the Deauville Hotel. The exuberance of their greetings at New York and Washington, D.C. did not compare to the wild scene that welcomed the Beatles at Miami International Airport. Screeching, screaming, and squirming teenagers broke through barricades and wreaked havoc as they tried to reach their idols. Windows were smashed, doors broken, and chairs demolished. A police escort was needed to allow for safe passage of the two limits carrying the Beatle party to the Deauville. Several teenagers were injured in the Beatle front battle, but none of these casualties suffered any serious wounds. The warm weather affected the Beatles in the same way that it affects most everyone else, and they seemed pleasure-bent. Paul McCartney describes a typical day in Miami as Radio Pulse Beat News picked this up. We went out on, the, on a yacht today, you know, and we sort of bathed around a bit. Very good at this. Road manager Malcolm Evans elucidates on another Beatle day. After the rehearsals in the afternoon, they went to a private swimming pool, they did a bit of swimming, and in the evening, the police sergeant, who was in charge of the security for the boys, invited them to his home for dinner, and the boys were really glad to accept, you know, sample some American cooking, home cooking. We asked Paul McCartney what plans they had while in Miami. And this is what he answered. Uh, get a bit of sun, try and get healthy. While in Miami, they spent much of their time on private boats and relaxing and had so much fun that they extended their stay for an additional four days. In order to do this, the Beatles actually had to stand up the Prime Minister of Great Britain. They missed the luncheon appointment with Lord Hume in order to remain in the States for a few more days. We asked Beatle Road Manager Neil Aspinall how they felt about their reaction in the United States, and he told us. It's marvelous, you know, we, uh, you know, well, we've never had anything like it before, you know. Uh, has the weather been anything of a surprise to you? No, we thought it was going to be like this, but, you know, I think it still was a surprise anyway, you know. Have uh, the reaction of the crowds throughout the country, uh, here in Miami and Washington, New York, surprised you at all? Yeah, they have. we didn't think it was going to be anything like as big as it was. We flew back to New York with the Beatles and sat with Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, John Lennon, George Harrison, and press and road managers Brian Somerville and Neil Aspinall. Here is how the conversation sounded aboard the Beatle plane. This is Ed Rudy about the Beetle plane now departing Miami International Airport for New York. How long after we land in New York will you be leaving for London? Uh, half an hour after we land, we'll be flying out again. Yeah, well, that's pretty fast. And will that include the press conference and all? Yeah, that'll include the press conference as well. While you were in the United States, what sort of reaction did you get wherever you went? It's great, you know. And, uh, it, it, are you anxious to return? Pardon? Are you, are you anxious to return here? Yeah, but we got, you know, we're booked up in sort of Europe with engagements and things, so it'll be a long time before we can get back. It has the reaction of the crowds, the teenagers and adults been very similar uh, to what you've experienced in Europe prior to coming here? Yeah, very similar to what's hap what happens to us in England. 
particularly, you know, not so much the rest of Europe, but England definitely. Yeah, it's just great, you know, the crowds and all that, you know. I, I'm rather surprised that uh, nothing unique at all, not, nothing that made you laugh, nothing funny. No, sort of hundreds of funny things have happened, but, you know, I just can't think of any sort of one at the moment, you know. About, apart from things, be, about things being unique, well, everything in the States has been sort of unique to us all, you know. How about the kids trying to break into the, what I like to call the uh, Beatles Sweetle? <laughs> <laughs> over at the uh, uh, three different hotels that you stated. Yeah, well, they do that in England as well, you know, so we're sort of quite used to that. But we were sort of well protected over here in the States yeah. by the police and things, you know, so none of them got through. I, I was talking to uh, the police captain, or actually the chief of police, and he told me you received the exact same type of protection that a visiting potentate or chief of state receives if uh, de Gaulle or the uh, Queen of England came to the United States, uh, they would receive no more or less protection than the Beatles did. Oh, well, we didn't know this. He didn't tell us that, you know. But, I don't know, what can you say, you know? Well, that, that, that's pretty unique in itself. Uh, I, did, were any of the kids actually able to uh, break through the police guard and get to any of the fellows? No, none of them did. Not at any point? Not at any point at all. Some of them tried, you know, some of the ideas they come up with are marvelous, you know. And often if the idea is sort of good enough, you know, we'll say, you know, right. if you've got the brains to think up something like that, we're going to see them, you know. No, I uh, know that some kids climbed over a seawall in the back of the Doville, very high, in order just to get into the hotel, and they were nowhere near you anyway, but they really went to the trouble of climbing over this great big high seawall just to maybe get a chance to look at the Beatles. Isn't that fancy? I, I imagine that would kind of thrill all the fellows. This is the first we've heard of it, you know. And it is, you know, it is good, but kids were doing that type of thing all the way through, you know. We flew back to New York with the Beatles as the only American newsman to complete the entire Beatle tour. As they entered their London-bound flight at New York's Kennedy International Airport, Ringo acted as spokesman for the group, and this was their final statement in America. Oh, it's fantastic again, you know, it's marvellous. A great, you know, it's marvellous place. We hope to come back as soon as we can. We did, however, manage to record a telephone conversation with Beatle George Harrison, and he gave us a great many inside facts and interesting information about the Beatles. This is John Lennon of the Beatles saying, stay tuned for Ed Rooley's exclusive coverage of our American tour. Stay tuned, kids. This is the top complete behind-the-scenes coverage of the Beatles in America by the fifth Beatle, Ed Rudy. This is one of the original four Beatles, George Harrison, saying thank you for the wonderful reception we've received in the United States. But stay tuned for Ed Rudy's report. What do you think of the reception that you've gotten in America so far? It's fabulous. You know, it's knocked us out. It's great. You know, it's, you know we never expected anything like this. It's been too good. Uh, did you expect so many people in America to be Beatles fans? No, not at all. I mean, we'd heard, well, well, that our records were selling well, but, 
you know, when we, it wasn't until we stepped off the plane, you know, and the thousands of the kids were to meet us, you know, we, we didn't really realize that, you know, we were just so well known over here. Yeah, it, it was quite a scene. Uh, incidentally, can you personally uh, account for the phenomenal popularity of the group? What what quality uh, uh, gives this uh, fantastic popularity? I don't know. It, you know, it's hard to say. You know, in fact, as we said at the reception at the airport, if we did know, then we'd probably form another group and we'd be the managers. <laughs> you know, that's sort of true, really, because... You just can't say. It's probably a lot of things. I, I think it's sort of got to do with our songs, uh, sort of original songs, and we, the, the overall sound on record is a bit new. So, and the people, I think, were ready for, you know, to have something new. And then, you know, we're all look, we look funny and funny hair and that, and, you know, sort of all added up. To, to make the whole thing so big. But, you know, you can't really pinpoint one thing and say that's why we're big. Yeah, I, I can see that. I imagine it's more the uh, sound than anything else. Can you uh, give me some sort of a definition or a, a description of what, what the Beatles sound is or the Liverpool sound? Well, we don't like the saying Liverpool sound, actually. You know, because uh, the only reason it was called the Liverpool sound was uh, because the British press, and that when they decided it was a different sound, and they didn't think it was rock and roll, and they didn't think it was rhythm and blues, and you know how they've always got to call it something, they've got to have a name for it, so they sort of decided to call it this, the Liverpool sound, which sort of caught on. But you know, we don't think it's a really different enough sound. Uh, you know, as far as we were concerned, we started off just playing the old rock and roll stuff, and it just so happens it comes out like that. Right. Uh, in uh, talking about the Beatles sound, it brings me to the next question. Where did the name Beatle come from? Uh, well, we, all, we were thinking of a name a long time ago for the group, you know, and uh, we were just racking our brains for names, and John came up with this the name Beatles, and it was good because it was sort of the insect, and then it also was a pun, you know, B-A-T, on the beat, so, you know, we just liked the name, and we kept it. Yes. Uh, incidentally, if it seems strange that I don't answer you, I'm trying to uh, get you as clear as possible without interrupting you. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I'm listening. Don't think I've gone away. Yeah, okay. Uh, why do you wear your hair uh, in such an unusual style? Um, well, we've always liked it long. Uh, even when we were at school, we, you know, the headmaster used to shout at us, the principal, you call him over there, used to shout at us for having our hair long. But um, you know, we we had it back and to the side and forward and up and down and all sorts of ways, but about three years ago, Paul and John went to Paris for a holiday, and they tried to get the French cut, but it didn't work out, you know, and it, it ended up like this, and I went to the swimming baths. When I came out and when it, the hair dried out, it was just all forward like, like a mop, so I, I, I liked it, so I left it like that. And then, you know, when Ringo joined the group, we, we got him to get his hair like it. Because by then, it, you know, people sort of were calling it the Beatle cut. I, I 
I see. Uh, is this uh, rather prevalent in England now? Are there many kids wearing this style? Do yeah. adults wear it? Yeah, well, you see, um, that's the main difference between the kids over here and in England, you see. In England, there's two lots of kids. There's the, the rockers and the mods. That's what they, they, they're called. And the rockers are sort of the people with the old haircut, like the Tony Curtis style. And uh, they were winkle picker shoes and zip-up leather jackets. And they're the rockers. And then the, uh, the people who are the mods, who are sort of dressed like us, and have the hair forward. And they're supposed to be the with-it ones. And the rockers are supposed to be the old-fashioned ones. But over... Over here in the States, you know, this mod bit hasn't caught on yet. You know, and everybody's still sort of a rocker. <laughs> yeah, they, and rocker uh, kind of means square, doesn't it? Well, I mean, uh, I, I don't really mean that the people over here aren't really square. It's just, uh, if they went to England, they'd be called a rocker, you see, because, because of the way they dress and the way they have the hair. I mean, this is only the teenagers. I'm not talking about older people. Right. Uh, do you find that you have any uh, problems or special difficulties due to the unusual haircut and the very distinctive clothing that you wear? Yeah, well, it makes uh, us, um, you know, people can sort of pick us out easier. And uh, they can spot us coming, you know, a mile away with this haircut. And so... Um, you know, you don't stand much of a chance if you want to go out because, you know, the, the haircut gives us away straight away, you know. It's the first thing they notice. But, uh, 